I want to give credit for that last joke that Ryan Holly told to Mac Lee. He, he hashtag yes, yeah. Mac Lee came up with that joke and he wanted everyone to know that. So, Mac, you're welcome. Well, hey guys, it's great to see you. We're here to talk about a fun, fun topic, right? Parenting. Nobody has opinions on parenting, right? And no one's going to get upset. Uh, there's a reason why I fed you lots and lots of turkey tonight. Uh, the tryptophan is going to calm you down from any sort of outrage that you might have at the things I'm going to say. But although we, we talk about the, the Bible and what it says on parenting, we'll talk about some, some, some themes, we'll talk about some ideas, but what I want you to walk away with is ultimately the joy that parenting can bring, because as God says in his word, children really are, are a blessing. So let's turn to the book of Colossians, okay? Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the whole section on families, just so we get this in context, verses 18 through 21. There's really two groups of people in here right now. There are those who are on the journey of parenting. And when you're on the journey of parenting, you're probably in a minivan, but you're on the journey of parenting right now, okay? And this is considered tonight like a, like a stop in the desert to fill up your canteen because you need the water as you're going through the desert. If you're here tonight and you're not on the journey, but you're going to begin the journey, you're, you're not have, you don't have kids right now, Consider this the, the moment to fill up your canteens before you get on the journey. Because if you uh, were to say, ah, I, don't need, I don't need to fill up my canteen right now, and then you start the journey, it's going to be a dip, more difficult journey than it would if you had all of this prepared beforehand. I mean, who's seen the three amigos, right? You remember that scene. Who's got, who's got the water and who doesn't have the water? You want to be prepared when you go into these things. So even if you don't have kids and you're like, oh, this doesn't apply to me, no, fill up your canteen right now, so whenever the Lord chooses to bless you, if he does, with kids, you'll be ready and prepared for this journey. So Colossians 3, 18 through 21 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged with you. I think it was John Calvin who famously quipped, uh, our hearts are idol factories. You ever heard that, that phrase before? Our hearts are idol factories. And I think that's an accurate statement because our hearts can really attach devotion and worship and obedience and control to many different things. It can be jobs, careers, family, friends, situations, whatever it is. Our, our heart can go out there and c- c- create a different idol that we begin to worship. But if I could just steal that phrase for a moment, I don't think it's just our hearts that are idol factories, I think our homes have become idol factories as well. Especially if you look at the, the state of Orange County right now. Homes are more kid-driven than they are parent-driven, and they're more parent-driven than they are Christ-driven. And what we've learned from the whole book of Colossians is that Christ is to be preeminent in everything, especially in our parenting. As a matter of fact, I think I've got a little bit of a, of a chart here for you. This is the way that we've just read This is how the the family should be structured. Worship and attention and focus should all be going towards Christ. The kids, they're they're at the bottom for a reason. Because we are to train them. We are to direct them. We are to take care of them. And as we read here, the wives are submitting to the husbands, not because they're any sort of second-class citizen, not because they're doormats, but because it's the way that God has designed the husband-wife relationship. And then finally, the husband as the head of the home, not with an authoritarian-type mindset, but because he's been installed by God with that type of 
authority. And when it functions this way, worship and adoration should go towards Christ. That's really what the home is designed to do. Everything from it. Christ says, I'm preeminent, not in some things, chapter 1, but I'm preeminent in everything. And that's why chapter 3 we read, we've got to keep our mind on things above. Why? Because that's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Sadly, though, we've flipped it to this. There we go. We flipped it to this, okay? We have Christ kind of at the bottom serving the whole family, and he's not really the Lord. He doesn't really dictate or tell us what to do. He's there to kind of help the husband or wife. They could be in whatever role they want to be. The husband or wife feed attention and worship towards the kids, okay? And when this happens, this is what produces idols in kids, whether it be the overprotective mom who doesn't want her kid to step out, or whether it be the, you know, the, the vicarious father who must have their child fulfill this role. Whatever way you're putting this sort of worship and attention on a kid, and that can become very dangerous. So to avoid this, what we need to do, point number one, if you want to put this down, trust in the divine structure of the home. We as Christians, right? Jesus says, why would you ever call me Lord if you wouldn't do what I said? Why would you say, I... I believe in Jesus if you don't do the things I said. Well, we just read in 18 through 21 the structure of the home, and we need to trust in that. And when you trust, the Bible tells you it's not just intellectual assent, but it is your o- obedience, it is your desire, it is your implementation of what you know the Bible tells you to do. So we need to trust in the divine structure of the home. I think it was the, the Duke of Windsor, not that I know him personally, but I... I don't even really know what a duke is. What, what is a duke? Does anybody know what a duke is? They wear a hat. Okay, that's, that's a definition. A duke wears a hat, okay? The Duke of Windsor. But listen, because he, he accurately summed up what goes on in the United States. He says, what impresses me the most about America is how well parents obey their kids. You hear that? That's his object. That's his view from the outside. Well, America, the parents obey their kids so well. And before we, you know, say, well, that's not true, just take a look at what goes on in homes today. See, social lives are directed not by the parents who are laying out biblical priorities. Social gatherings are guided by, oh, well, what happens if our, if our kid has a tantrum? Or we can't go here because what if our, our kid doesn't like this? And now, who's really in control in that situation? Or sporting events begin to kind of dictate the schedule, and it's not really, it's church important, it's how many, how many teams can I get involved in, and how many different opportunities can I do this, and now that's driving the schedule. Or really just the, the general happiness of the home is based on the fickle happiness of a child. When the child's upset, no one's happy. You know, when the child's in a good mood, yay, we can kind of take a breath and relax. And to, to live that way, guys, is to Put your kid on a pedestal that they don't deserve and will ultimately be very damaging to them. I can tell you why, as a marriage counselor sitting in a bunch of uh, marriage uh, counseling situations, that a lot of the reasons why there's a struggle between this person and this person is because this individual, the husband over here, was brought up in an environment where he was worshipped by his parents. And then this gal over here was brought up in an environment where she was worshipped by her parents. And now we've got two people who think they deserve what? I deserve worship. And when neither of them are giving it to one another, why do you think there's so much conflict? Okay? 
You are going to do that to your child if they control the family. You are setting them up to have bad, busted, broken, damaged relationships because they don't know how to function humbly. And they don't know how to serve because you've acquiesced to every desire to them. What do you think? People can't hold jobs today. Kids can't hold jobs. Because mom and dad never had any standard for them. Mom and dad just said, oh, whatever you want to do, we'll let you go do this, you don't do that. And then a boss comes in and says, you have to have it in by this time. And they throw a fit and they can't hold a job. We are creating this, okay? The, the monster that is our, our children is, is our fault. We've created it. We can't have that type of environment where we put the kid on top, where the attention and focus and obedience is driven by them. We've got to have it according to God's, God's standards at that point in time. There's a, it's a principle in Scripture. It's uh, Romans 6. You don't need to turn there. But if, if I submit myself to obey wickedness, I'm a slave of wickedness. Okay? If I submit myself and I obey righteousness, I'm a slave of righteousness. Well, it's that idea of whatever dictates or, or whatever I obey, that's really Lord over my life. And if your kids are doing that, then man, we've, we've got a huge problem. Now here's what I don't want you to think, okay? As you hear this and you see the divine structure, I don't want you to think that in Pastor Elliot's home, Pastor Elliot walks in at 5 o'clock and I sit down on the couch and I call Miles over and he has to untie my shoelaces and take them off my feet and put them over there. And then Trenton has to crawl with the, with the water and uh, something balanced on his back to get to daddy. And then Andrea's got to come over and give me a back massage. Well, that should happen, but that's regardless. That's, a, that's another topic for another time. It's not like that, okay? It's not me sitting in my chair and I'm an authoritarian. Kids do come in and they do change the dynamic of the home, but there is a huge difference between you sacrificing for your child and you being enslaved to your child, okay? Let's talk about the difference. Sacrifice is someone giving up divine right and divine privileges that have been given to them by God and choosing to serve someone else. I get that from Jesus, right? Philippians 2. Jesus is a very humble person who came to serve, who had the right to stay in heaven. He didn't have to come to earth. He had the privileges of being worshipped in heaven, but he gave that up to come serve us. That is sacrifice. And I'm saying you can't call yourself a parent if you're not willing to sacrifice for your kid. But enslavement is a lot different, okay? Enslavement means you obey you function based off of them. You take directions from them, either passively or actively. I don't want you to be enslaved. I could illustrate it to you this way. One of my favorite theologians, uh, Bruce Ware, he, uh, he gave an example. He said when he was growing up, he was an avid hunter. Anybody like hunting out there? I, I, I hate it. I don't get it. I don't know what you guys do. I don't, I don't want to be in a tree and have to go to the bathroom in a bucket. I just, it's not appealing to me, right? You sit up there for hours, but some people, they get into it, okay? Not here to judge, that's not my job, okay? He said he was an avid hunter, he loved to do it. When he got married, he was still able to go hunting, but then he and his wife started having kids, and they ended up having two girls. And after they decided, hey, we're not going to have any more kids, it's going to be these two girls, Bruce Ware said this, at that point in time, I knew that I should give up hunting as a hobby. That's sacrifice for your kids. Girls who are probably not interested in going hunting, although I'm sure there are those out there who would enjoy that. Girls who are more than likely not going to enjoy that. He knew that if I'm going to be a father and I'm going to provide, I'm going to protect, I'm going to be there, I'm going to raise godly girls, 
well, it's not going to happen if I'm spending two weeks out in a tree with my buddies shooting guns. So I'm going to give that up. That's, that's sacrifice, okay? That's sacrifice. Giving up a, a privilege to serve his two girls. Here's what enslavement would be. I'm not saying this happened in their home, but this is what enslavement would be. If Bruce Ware and his wife were to want to go out and celebrate uh, their anniversary, and the two girls didn't want a, a babysitter over the weekend and threw huge fits, and so Bruce Ware says, well, I'm going to cancel our weekend away, honey, because the kids really don't want, to, the girls don't want to be with a, a babysitter for the weekend. That's enslavement, okay? They are being dictated uh, what's going to be done by the kids' actions at that point in time. So we've got to make sure that we trust in, in God's divine structure for the home and the way that he's told us to lead always is, hey, don't lord it over people, but serve them. In fact, just write these two examples down from Jesus. This will help you. Two examples from Jesus. Uh, John 13, 15, and then Mark 10, 35 through 45. John 13, 15, really the whole beginning of the chapter, and then Mark 10, 35 to 45. And here's the difference. See, Jesus, as the great leader, does this. He shows how to sacrifice. You remember John 13? That's the, that's the foot-washing passage where Jesus, the leader of the disciples, has the right to tell them what to do. Well, he bends down and he starts washing their feet. That's sacrifice. That's being humble. That's what he should do. But notice in Mark 10, 35, he's not enslaved to the disciples' desires. Remember, that's where Mark and John come, and, or uh, Matt, uh, James and John. James and John come and say, uh, Jesus, we want to sit on the right and left hand throne. Now, if Jesus is enslaved to their desires, he says, oh, okay, if that makes you happy, I'm going to make that happen. Don't worry about it, guys. It's taken care of. But Jesus, he doesn't do that. He doesn't acquiesce to demands. He's going to say later on in that passage, hey, if you want to have influence, you just better serve people, okay? That's a, that's a great distinction between serving and not being enslaved. I don't want to give in to sinful desires. I don't want my kids to think that they are the ultimate authority. I want to trust in God's divine structure for the family. So two ways that you can just practically do this, okay? To show that you trust in God's design for the family. One is pray. And you need to pray with and pray for your family, okay? Pray with and pray for your family. So individually, pray for your family. You're praying that God's will be done. You're praying that God would give you the strength to serve. You pray that, you know... God's glory would be shown to the family. You're praying that. And then you pray with them. Husbands pray with wives. Dads play, pray with their kids. Moms pray with their kids. Husbands and wives pray together. Everyone's praying together. When you have an environment where prayer is, you know, bathing everything, it's hard to cultivate idols in that if prayer is done correctly. Right? How are idols going to grow if, if the home is constantly praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done? Well, idols aren't really going to grow in that environment because Idols can only thrive on, on pride, and that's a humble prayer. God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Those are things that you want to be doing. So I want to pray, obviously. But then secondly, you've got to plan, okay? Pray and plan. And what I mean by this is we've got to sit down, and we've got to really show that this family is keeping Christ first. Because I don't want you to hear all that I'm saying and say kids shouldn't be involved in things. Kids should be in, involved in a ton of things. You should get your kids into sports. You should get your kids into after-school programs. You should get them involved with friends. You should do all of those things. They should have jobs. I'm saying that, but do you plan in such a way that it shows that Christ is first in the home? Oh, sweetie, you, you, you can't go to that sports camp because you've already signed up to go to revival over here. 
Well, now you are planning with the kids and showing them that, hey, you have these commitments, but church is always going to come first. Or, no, I, I don't think you should take that summer job at that store in the mall because, man, the things that they're promoting, I don't know if that's really Christ-like. So we are planning together, showing that all the decisions are, are moving towards a goal, and the goal is giving God's honor and, and the glory that he deserves. So we need to be planning because no family is just going to naturally drift into honoring and glorifying God. We want to we plan and execute it that way. So let's trust in God's divine structure for the home as he's laid out for us here in Colossians. But secondly, and this is just to help you as parents, I want you to aim for the right goal, okay? Aim for the right goal. Because we hear that sometimes, and I hear that, and I get charged up, and I think, okay, God's structure, it's going to work, it's going to be there. And I can get into this sort of perfectionistic mentality to think, wow, I've got to be the perfect parent if my kids are ever going to survive. We need to get this mindset out of there, right, that there is an award for the perfect parent. There's not. I looked it up. I really wanted it. Couldn't find one on the internet, okay? It's not there. That's not what God wants from you. God doesn't want perfection. He wants faithfulness, okay? So you as a parent need to aim for faithfulness because guess what? You're going to mess up. There is going to be the time you're going to parent wrong. You're going to say the wrong thing. But God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for faithfulness. Now, here's what I need you to hear me say. Because I think sometimes people hear the idea of faithfulness and they think, well, God is faithful, so that means I can be careless. That means I can be kind of lethargic. That means I don't have to you know, put a lot of pressure on myself. And that's not what it is at all. Because God is faithful, I should promote consistency in my life. I don't think any, anybody out there ever done like a marble sculpture. Anybody out there ever worked with that? That's why this is going to be such an effective illustration, okay? But if you think about it, you can kind of get the, the concept. They have just a huge marble slat, and the, the person, the sculptor coming in, isn't thinking, okay, I'm going to get this done in a day. I need to take consistent, faithful, calculated chips away at this molding. And that's the way we're going to approach our parenting, a faithful consistency to form what God has laid out for us in Scripture. It would be wrong to think because God is faithful, he's going to send a lightning bolt to zap this you know, marble slab into the perfect kid. That's not the way he's working. He's asking you because he's faithful to show faithfulness in consistency, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. That's why in our... Uh, in our accountability times, if you go to accountability, I, I really want to hit home the mindset of a steward in the Bible, a steward, a manager, someone who is given a blessing and then uses that blessing according to the instructions given to him by the manager, okay? By the president of the company, you'd say. Well, if you read anything about a steward in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4, Luke 12, the number one characteristic is this, a steward must be faithful, Okay? That is the mindset we are adopting constantly. Am I a faithful parent? Am I a faithful parent? What is the two ways that we must be constantly faithful in Scripture? Well, flip over quickly to Ephesians 6. I think you did it in your homework. If not, we'll, we'll look at it right now. Ephesians 6, uh, verse uh, 4, yeah, Ephesians 6, 4. What are the things that we're supposed to be faithful in? Ephesians 6.4 tells us this, Father, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, or Pastor Mike's phrasing that I really like, the correcting and directing of your kids. 
That is your job, your responsibility, your call to faithfulness, meaning you correct and discipline your kids when they are wrong, and you train them up, and you guide them, and you move them towards a mature person. If they become a Christian, a Christ-like person, those are the things that you must be faithful in. Now, there are many different methods and many different ways to talk about discipline, but I just want to talk about the, the concept as a whole before we get into individual ideas. In fact, next week, we're going to have a Q&A with myself and my wife and Pastor Pete and his wife up here. We can even, you can bring some questions about some specific areas of discipline that you're dealing with with your kids. But as a concept as a whole, it's hard sometimes to discipline your kid because you think, ah, I, I just want my kid to be happy. I don't, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to bring this pain in and associate that with it. I just want them to be, to be happy. Well, you go with the book of Proverbs and really understand that if I spare the rod, I really, I hate my kid. And it's really true when you come to read scripture. Think about it this way. When you come to understand really the, the heinousness of what sin is, rebellion against God and the destructive nature. I mean, all you, you want to see the destructiveness of sin. I, it's going to sound funny. Just watch Miley Cyrus. Okay, do you want, if you have a girl, just think about this, do you want your little daughter to turn out to that one day? That is, that is idolatry at its highest right there. And it's blazing all over the internet. And I think, man, if, if, their parents, if her parents only loved her enough to discipline her when she was selfish, when she wanted attention, when she wanted to drive things, if they just cared enough to say, no, don't do that, that will hurt you in the end. If you only cared enough to love your kid enough to say, stop doing that because it will hurt you, well, that changes my mindset when I discipline my son because I'm not doing it because I'm some sort of strict disciplinarian. I'm doing it because I don't want my kid to end up like that. That, that, that selfish jerk that no one wants to be around because dad wasn't man enough to step up and say, stop doing that. And then how am I supposed to introduce the gospel to them if I won't discipline them? How can they understand that, that sin against God brings a consequence? Sin against God brings pain. It ultimately brings judgment. I'm going to tell them that they need Jesus Christ, but I won't discipline them. They, they don't get that. But if they understand that sin brings consequences, and I tell them, hey, one day you're going to stand before God and he will punish you for your sins, but there is a way out. Through faith in Jesus Christ, he takes the punishment so that you no longer have to face it. Well, now they have a context for understanding that. Can you please agree that it is a good thing to discipline your kid? Can you please come to the point where you say, I, I won't let my child turn into an idol. I, I need them to understand this. But then I don't, I don't want to just stick on disciplining them. I want, to, I want to train them. There are things that I have to be faithful to train them to do to make them just a, a, a kind person, a respectful person, a mature person, someone who's going to contribute to society and hopefully one day become a Christian. And really it's hard for some of us to do that because we're not doing those things in our own life. It's hard to train our kids in what it means to be a very respectful, mature, disciplined person if you're not a very respectful, mature, disciplined person in your own life. So I need to have a, a, a honed sense of that in my own life so I can take that now to my kids. And when you do that, now the, the legacy of Christianity is passed on. You think of, it's Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to the next. 
That's what we want to be doing as parents, passing along, passing the baton, as Pastor Mike says, to the next generation. This is who God is. This is why he's worthy. This is what he wants from you. And that's what we need to be faithful in. So keep that as your aim. That is my constant goal. But our text in Colossians warns us of one final thing. It says, fathers, uh, back in Colossians 3, how does it phrase it in Colossians? Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged with you. Okay? Talk about uh, provoking, irritating your children if you want to bring it into a, maybe a, an easier concept to comprehend. Don't irritate them. Okay? Now we need to understand what this is saying because it's really, I think, talking about standards. The standards you hold in your home are going to be what either encourages or irritates your kids. Now, it irritated me when my parents told me I had to be home at 11.30 at night, right? That irritated me. But that's not what this passage is talking about, right? That's because they had a, they had a standard that I didn't agree with. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a wrong standard. Here's some wrong standards that I think are um, sinful standards that will provoke your child and make them become discouraged. And probably uh, point number three, put it down this way first before I give them to you. Keep your standards biblical. We want to keep our standards biblical. There is no number three I'm noticing because you're turning over your worksheets right now. You can add that by simply writing a three, a line. It's these crazy things. They're called pens and they have ink in them. And they, they manipulate what goes on the page based on what you do to it. It's incredible, right? So keep your standards biblical. Because if they're not, that is what's going to provoke your kids to go these sinful routes. Here's the first one, hypocritical standards. Okay? You could harp on your kids all day long. Don't you cuss. Don't you swear. If I hear, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. You cannot do that. And then all of a sudden you get in an argument with your wife and what are you doing? Cursing, letting the expletives fly, right? That's a, that's a hypocrite. And you want to provoke your kid to irritation? You want them to be discouraged? Dad, you're not even doing what you tell me to do. Well, that's going to provoke your kid. That's a hypocritical standard. How about continually changing standards, right? The pendulum kind of swings. There's no constant standard, right? You're happy one day, so it's a little bit more lax in the home. Then you come home the next day, you're angry and upset. Now it's really tight and there's different rules and there's more strictness involved. Well, how's a kid supposed to thrive and grow in that if it's constantly changing? We should have one consistent biblical standard. How about unattainable standards, right? Perfection. You must be perfect, you child of mine. You know, potty trained at two, leading Bible studies at three, reading in Latin at four. You know, all these crazy standards that how can we how can we expect those of a kid unattainable standards are going to irritate them or how about comparative standards well your brother did did this why aren't you why aren't you doing that going to provoke your kid compare them back and forth what the bible says though is that we have a standard for a child they should obey their parents and you should find the biblical principles that they need to be following and those should be consistently followed and when you keep those standards biblical sometimes it will rub them the wrong way but that's not the irritation this passage is talking about that's probably a good irritation that points out the sinful nature that's involved in them and you show them that that training is for their good because we got to keep our standards biblical though if we don't want to exhaust our children Guys, do you understand that if you have kids right now, God has entrusted a life to you, okay? I can't keep a plant alive, okay? 
I failed biology. I didn't grow anything. <laughs> biology was not my best subject. And God says, here's biology uh, you know, 605, not 101. Here's biology 605. Raise this life, okay? And he entrusts that to me? Man, what a kind God. But do I do it the way that he's asked me to do? I just want to close with Psalm 127 and hear the words of Scripture and realize what a blessing it is to do this hard work but rewarding work that is called parenting. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 3. Well, let's read the whole thing. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman watches in vain. In vain you rise up early, go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Beloved, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies. In the gate. Man, what a blessing the Lord has instilled upon us. Man, I pray that we would be so serious and staunch to take these blessings and utilize them as a faithful steward for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and how it clarifies for us what we need to be doing. And God, I pray that we would take that to heart, realizing, God, if you designed the house and you designed the way it should function, you know best. God, how dare we be arrogant enough to come and tell you how we're going to raise our kids. Father, these are your kids that you've blessed us with. May we have that mindset. May we raise up a generation to know you. God, and I beg for each parent in this room that you would save our kids and let them become Christians. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.